In over 10 years of going to shows, I've met some really interesting people along the way. Folkies, metalheads, old school punks, sweetheart singer-songwriters, and everyone in between. I figured now was as good a time as ever for me to share their stories. Conversations about music where no genre and no topic is off-limits. I'm David James Young, and all my friends are in bar bands. It's David James Young here. Welcome back to All My Friends Are In Bar Bands. Hope you're doing well. Uh, sorry about the delay on getting this episode out. Uh, it was supposed to be up two weeks ago, but, uh, you know, life got in the way. I wanted to do the Andy Bull episode last week to uh, coincide with his uh, end of tour that weekend. Had to push this one back a few weeks, but I, I'm, I'm glad that I did. I'm, I'm glad that I, I did, because this now coincides with Dave coming back to Australia. He's been over in the States, uh, as you will hear about in this episode. So I won't give too much away, but uh, you'll find out all about what Dave Drayton has been up to in just a minute. Before we get to that... Just a couple of quick plugs. And I mean just a couple. Not much going on this week. Of course, if you ever have anything that you would like plugged on the podcast that is going from Thursday to Sunday and it is in the New South Wales area, then hit me up. I'm on Twitter at DJYWrites and I'm DavidJamesYoungWrites at gmail.com or just hit up all my friends are in bar bands on Facebook. Anyway, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, on Thursday, the 18th of June, and you're in Sydney, come and see me. Yeah, that's right. A lot of people, a lot of, a lot of new listeners and people I don't know uh, personally uh, that listen to this podcast would not know this, but uh, I am a musician as well. I uh, play solo under the name Nothing Rhymes With David, and I am opening a free show tonight at the Vic on the Park Hotel, and I will be joined by Isaac Graham, Jerome Nappett from the Flying Sohios, and Billy Demos. And that is all kicking off tonight at about 8pm. As I said, it's free, and it would mean the fucking world to me to see you there. Across town, Richard, in your mind, I uh, I tried to plug this a couple of weeks ago and then realized I had the date completely wrong. I don't know how I fucked it up that badly, but uh, Richard, in your mind, are indeed playing tonight uh, with Shining Bird and Jody at Newtown Social Club. In the CBD over at the Standard Bowl, Jack and Elmo are playing a free show. You will know Jack and Elmo as being two-fifths of the band Big White. And uh, they also have a uh, little subset project within that band. Uh, and it's really nice. It's really pleasant, really, I guess, dark, brooding, indie rock sort of stuff. And, uh, yeah, I quite like them. So, uh Definitely, if you're in that area, go along and support Jack and Elmo. And yes, that is her real name. Friday night, the Berkshire Hunting Club are back. And they are launching a split 7-inch with I Am Duckeye. 
Uh, also featuring appearances from MC Filth Wizard and Skinpin. It's free entry and it is happening this Friday night. I think it will probably kick off about 8 o'clock. But definitely get along there. It's it's always ridiculous fun when you, you see Berkshire Hunting Club. Yeah, I've got nothing but time for that band. So definitely check them out. And uh, Saturday night, Shaky Hands, which features my darling friend Erin. Uh, they are playing at Blackwire Records with Propeller, Imperial Broads and Sleepy. They are launching their debut album which is one of the best album titles I've heard all year. It's called Celebrity Make Me a Sandwich. I love it. I love it. That's uh, Five Bones, and uh, yeah, should be a super fun night for that particular crew. Okay, that's all the plugs we got. Let's talk about Dave Drayton. Dave Drayton is a figurehead. He is a... uh, a recurring character in Sydney's acoustic, punk, alternative, whatever the fuck music scenes. He is everywhere. Uh, you might know him as a solo artist under the name Zounds. You might know him as one half of Pinch Hitter. You may know him from his time playing bass in Between the Devil and the Deep or Millhouse. Some of you might just know him as a friend and that's completely fine too. But this guy has dedicated a lot of his life to music, so I want to share that story with you. Next week on the podcast, we're going to have Georgia Mack, the delightful, adorable sweetheart, Georgia Mack. When I talk about sweetheart singer-songwriters, she is basically the living, breathing definition of that term. And I'm really excited about sharing that one with you because she's lovely and she's the best. And so is Dave. Dave is lovely and Dave is the best. I'm really stoked that he has been living the dream and touring over in the States with Pinch Hitter. And their new Split 7-inch is out right now. Pick up a copy locally through Lost Boy Records. Go on. Do it now. Stop this podcast. What do you think you're doing? Stop wasting your time. Go grab a goddamn 7-inch. It'll change your life. Trust me. For the better. You get one? Fantastic. Alright, sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with Dave Drayton. You! Hi everyone, I'm David James Young and all my friends are in bar bands. Today, I would like to introduce you to my friend, Dave Drayton. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. Head of Drayton Industries. Uh, I'm a figurehead. I'm a puppet puppet head. (laughs) One half of your newer collective and the title holder for the single individual that I've seen perform the most out of any other human ever. Really? Really, really. I (laughs) apologise. It could just be the fact that you're a, a slide band whore. Not so much now. I, Not anymore. I have been. Back I have, in the day. Back been, in the day. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what got the tallies up. Yeah. We're out the back of Blackwire. Not too long before a uh, show is about to go down with the likes of Kiri and Sweater Season and We Lost the Sea and your boy Dave Drayton. Actually, this is interesting. This venue, this right here venue is the place where I first ever saw you play. This is before we'd even met. 
I was going to say, Blackwire is probably responsible yeah. for you seeing a few yeah. too many shows a majority of mine of as them. well. <laughs> a majority of what them. What was the show? Do you remember? Uh, you were opening for Jamie Hay. Oh, it just was... the two of us? Yeah. Just before Christmas? Yes. Awesome poster that yes. Jamie drew with yes. cats with moustaches? Bang, 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 bang. On the money. That was a good show. It was a good show. We had a great night. And then we all went out to Courthouse. Yeah. yeah. We all went out after that. It was awesome. But the first time we actually met was at Blood, Sweat and Beers. Which blood, sweat, and beers? Yeah, Millhouse played, and then a couple of hours later, we met during I Exist set. Came up and we were just like, hi, Dave. And I was just like, oh, Dave, that'll be easy. Shook hands, and then 20 minutes later, we were screaming the words woman into one another's faces, as one does in an I Exist show. That is woman! That was still Annandale? It was the Annandale, yeah. Oh, God, I walked past that this morning, and... Oh, it just tore me apart seeing it now. Doesn't it just break your heart? And we don't have a room of that... Like, its equivalent doesn't exist, which Not makes really, it all no. more devastating. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Nothing matched that vibe. Yeah, that was the first time we met, and, uh, of course, you were playing with the project that I'd say the majority of people would know you from, which is Millhouse, the posse champions of the world. Let's start there. Uh, talk us through uh, the formation of that particular band. The other two guys in Millhouse, Tommy and Costin, the singer, guitarist, and drummer, we're in a band uh, called Lights Out. Yep. Um, which is probably going back to like 2007 to about 2009. Mm-hmm. And I used to tag along with them when they went to Melbourne and sell their merch and pretend I knew how to restring guitars. <laughs> Your brother was in that band? No. 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 So in that band, Tom was playing like lead yeah. and doing backing vocals. And Nick Vambrada was playing guitar and singing. Right, yeah, yeah, and yeah. his brother, um, Will, was playing yes. bass. Yeah, that's and right. And was drumming. So I used to tag along with them, and that band uh, broke up, mm. which is sad for me, but unfortunately... Sad for everyone, not, really. Not sad enough for enough people, I don't think. <laughs> underrated, <laughs> underrated band. Yeah. They, and part of that was kind of Costin not wanting to do music anymore. He's a, he's a business guy. He's a very yeah, good right. business guy continue being a business guy but then it was an, a conspicuously heavy band mm. that we were watching at Herman's Bar and Devils were playing the show I think and Costin and Tommy had come along to watch and right. we were I don't know how but I've been like, I said Mill has to be a good name for a band but it kind of have to be a pop punk band and Tommy and Costin yeah we'll do that that'd be fucking hilarious we can knock it out real quick it'll be simple and then we actually followed up on it which is kind of weird Tommy's Mm. probably he's like even when he's not doing bands like now he's writing songs and just Mm. really nice guitar parts so he like we just started hanging out a bit and did maybe two rehearsals in a bedroom acoustic yeah right and had one rehearsal with Costin and then the next rehearsal was us recording an EP (laughs) That's so crazy. Yeah, it happened really quick because it was kind of like it was a joke kind of thing, which made it easy to do because it was just. I mean, fun. you you probably couldn't have imagined the momentum that it would have picked up and like the following you guys would have gotten over that. No, it was really weird. Yeah. It was really strange. <laughs> and especially because lights out had really hustled, not yeah, like yeah, not yeah. like soulless hustle, but they'd worked so hard. They'd gone to Melbourne. You mm. know, I went to Melbourne with them maybe eight times in twelve months or something. They were really working hard. They're doing really cool stuff, and then some things just don't click. And we were like, no, we won't do anything. And didn't see much change in that time. Just the same yeah. sort of crowd, same sort of people. Yeah. Oh, they got like they did some really cool stuff. They played with Blue Line. They had some good kind of shows, mm. but it was just. Um, it didn't kind of take off for whatever reason and then we did this thing as a joke 
and almost actively tried to be inactive. And yeah, yeah. things went surprisingly well. It just works out that way, doesn't it? Yeah, it's ridiculous. It really is. So, what brought you into music to begin with? Like, obviously, like, it's it's something most people pick up in high school, and, like, you know, they're just hanging out with their mates, trying to, uh, like, be the people on their on the posters on their walls, you know? Was there a particular in that you had? Was it family, or something you saw on TV, or what, what got you into music properly to begin with? I don't know, it was like, none of my family play instruments. My dad used to play tuba, and he told me his heartbreaking story where they had, like, a tu- the school concert. Mm. And then he was, like, in the foyer afterwards of a school concert, and someone's mm. dad was like, oh, the bass is a bit weak, and dad's like, fuck that, I'm not playing tuba. And <laughs> just packed it in. <laughs> so no one else was playing stuff at home, but I used yeah, to play right. alto sax from when I was about seven. And yeah, Rick right. Vambrida used to be my alto sax teacher. No shit. Which is kind of weird, and his mum was the choir teacher at my primary school. That's so weird. Yeah, it's super weird. But I didn't, I think I maybe started playing guitar... I was maybe 13, 14. Uh-huh. I went and saw Body Jar at the beach for free. That was pretty sick. Yeah, sick. And then I saw Dashboard Confessional. And I was like, I'm going to be in band. Yeah. And so that was the real, which is pretty embarrassing. Yeah. But I was like, oh, we'll start a Dashboard Confessional cover band. Why not? <laughs> Anyone that's seen you play knows that you're very much into odd tuning and the, the hammering guitar, etc. Like, was that something that was of interest early on? Or were you just like a, a buzzsaw kind of guitarist? Like, what kind of style was interesting to you to begin with? To begin with, not my. I was pretty terrible. I can't <laughs> solo. I can. I could never solo. Yeah. I've got a really bad right hand as well. So rhythmically, I'm not good. So the start, most of my bands to begin with was just like yeah, rhythm with yeah, and just and then I started um, listening to some other weird kind of like cap and jazzy type stuff and tried yeah. to noodle around. Was that like a bit. friends like recommending stuff in high school or it was more the kind of bands my high school band ended up playing with, I suppose. Mm. We I was in a I was in a band um, called Euripides Berserker mm-hmm. and just through trying to kind of like put on shows in Hornsby we ended up finding ourselves in a pretty cool DIY scene. Tenzerman was really supportive and like we got to play a show with Lungs in Hornsby which was yeah, wow. crazy for and they the kind of bands we were playing with were saying like, Oh you sound like Captain Jazz who sang and we went and listened like, Oh shit this oh, is shit we do too. Yeah Yeah, this is awesome. Give us more. So yeah. there was kind of and the bands we got to play with as well like uh Call the Medic, Call the Nurse, mm. other bands kinda like that. Really Gave us new kind of ways to try and start playing, I guess. Sure. Euripides was your first band? The third band. The second that played shows. Take us back to the first one. The first band was called La Fours. Mm-hmm. Uh, named after a security guard from Morats. <laughs> nice. Uh, I played guitar in that on a Monterey through like a 10-watt practice drive amp. Fuck that yes. That my mum got me. And we played one... We played two-thirds of a song for our 12-month existence, which was Smells Like Teen Spirit. <laughs> Until the bridge, I couldn't play the solo, and then they kicked me out. That's I like the most simple solo ever. I solo. <laughs> and then they kicked me out, because rather than trying to learn the solo, I was like, I wrote a song, and they're like... Nah, nah, nah. We went our separate ways. And the second band? The second band uh, was called Last Letter Home, which is the band kind of formed after the dashboard epiphany. Yeah. And we were pretty terrible but we got to play some cool shows and a lot of like band yeah. competitions and weird stuff yeah alright so talk us to Euripides Berserker which is uh, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you have a tattoo dedicated to that band. I do. I've got <laughs> actually the very first tattoo that I would wanted to get, which yeah. I didn't even get. I was going to get with the bass player from Euripides Berserker, which said "Stand Tall." I'm very glad I didn't do it. Now it would be terrible. Yeah. That was also a Euripides lyric, but I have "Manipulate" written on my toes. That which was a is a uh, yeah. That all we were playing quite literally this, spelt out in one of your songs. I had a stone epiphany that like I always wanted toe tatties, and then I had a stone epiphany that manipulate was ten letters. I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Two weeks later, uh, thanks to Ben Rivers, I managed to have it on my feet. Shout out to Riv Dogs if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, talk us through the start of that band. Well, last at home was pretty set: two guitars, bass, drums. This yeah, other yeah. guy sung. Um, a friend of mine, Matt Samperi, when Last Set of Home broke up, I was like, mm. going to start... Well, we decided we'd start a band. I decided, actually, because we used to record all the stuff at his house. Yeah. And one Sunday, I was like, hey, Mario, I'm going to come around, and we should like write and record a, a, like a bunch of songs in a day. It'll be hilarious. Yeah. So we started a two-piece band that was pretty much all concept-driven, called Euripides Berserker, and invent like plucked four numbers out of obscurity and said they were going to be like on every bit of artwork we had and we weren't going to show our faces and all this other dumb shit oh wow and recorded like a four track ep in a day and we started playing shows but then we decided we need another member to tour which was very ambitious how were you going to go about not showing your face if you were going to be playing shows was it going to be like a tism or a slipknot thing I think just um, we had a Mario mask and I like made a mask out of a drum that I was going to wear that's fucking great thankfully (laughs) we dropped that concept before our first show oh man but we did yeah we some stupid reason decided we were going to tour and we needed to book Oh, we needed another member to make yeah, yeah. driving easier, which sure. was weird. So we've got our friend who hadn't actually played anything, played a little bit, a little bit of guitar. It's like you can play bass, and he did, and he did it really well. We were unsure. It was like Ben will be nice to hang out with because Mario wasn't a drummer, mm. but we're like you can drum, or we can get a real drummer in. But the real drummer we were considering wasn't a very nice guy, oh. so we got Ben instead and figured he could learn bass. And he was, and so we didn't think much of it. And then the first rehearsal, he was kind of, like, and then the next week he came back and he <laughs> just written a really cool bass bit. Sick. So yeah, and then I guess we just started playing. As I said, we started playing shows, and we were really lucky with people that looked after us mm. and let us play shows with them. And then between the devil and the deep. Took us up to Queensland for a tour, which is really right, nice. Yeah, and yeah. Luke Smith booked a whole kind of like we were all still in high school, we were stupid and had no idea, and like went up to schoolies, came back, and then the next week went up again with Devils and Luke had booked this tour for us, and we were Christ. kind of like, oh my god, we're a touring band. Fucking Made a hundred demos. <laughs> we were so convinced. We we had this demo we recorded. Now Ben was in the band yes, as yes. a three piece. Yeah, yeah. And it's in his Hessian sack. And I believe we like, I have one of those. We made it and sewed them and spray painted them and our masks were, it's like, all right, we spent like two bucks at Spotlight on the fabric and the push buttons. Yeah. So that's like two bucks. We make a hundred. That's cost 200. We sell them for five bucks. Everyone's going to buy one because we've only made a hundred. That's 500. So we've got 300 for tour. And then we won the rest of the money on like a uh, roulette machine at no the RSL. Shit. Yeah. 
But that is the best way to finance a tour ever. That was assuming we were going to sell 100 CDs. We sold about three. I was like, oh, that's right. And don't, people just don't buy it. And you, you've it. still got some of those to this day, if I'm not mistaken. I've, ma- I've managed to palm off enough that I've only got about three left. <laughs> but those 97 people, man, they're the, they're the ones. They're the true believers. Hornsby's <laughs> an interesting, like... Uh, I guess location to be based out of and to kind of develop a scene from because it's like it's essentially neither here nor there you know it's like it's as distant away from Sydney as it is like the central coast and up to Newcastle especially and stuff all like ages that. shows and stuff as yeah. well like when you're I think at, you're not it, unless you're like a regional centre mm. and obviously it's hard everywhere for all ages shows and for kids and stuff sure, but if you're yeah. not a regional centre which Hornsby isn't even though it's like an hour from the city or whatever and feels even further when you're younger. Mm-hmm. There's not that kind of setup for shows, but yeah. it was really good. I think there'd been a really strong punk scene there. Like guys like Johnny Tachinsky and mm. Nick Vambadar and stuff had had stuff running there before I was kind of old enough. But then from about 15 onwards, there were really cool shows running at Hornsby PCYC. Yep, yep. Um, Alex from Eucalypt, the old Eucalypt drummer used to run a lot okay. of cool shows yep. there and so Hornsby was really good for the PCYC shows and then uh, at the same time Lawrence from Eucalypt and uh, Royal Headache was running shows yeah, in his yeah, yeah. boat shed in Putney which yeah, was yeah, yeah. so it was a cool kind of it was there was cool stuff happening which was nice and bands were making the trip like Lungs came out and played Hornsby PCYC with Eucalypt and Dead Farmers and Us on like a Sunday Arvo for four dollars or something. It was all, we fucking couldn't believe it. it yeah, was amazing. <laughs> That's pretty wild, man. I, I I also love mentioning these these acts like the guys in Lungs and Between the Devil and the Deep and, and even Nick and you know at the time there were people like a bit older. You're just like, wow, I can't believe we get to you know do shows and play with these guys and they're all like friends of yours now and you've literally been you know in those in those bands with with those people as well. Is it still like a reality check? And sometimes it's like, fuck, I was in a band with those guys, you know. It is. It's weird in different ways with different people. Like it's yeah. it's amazing. I've been really, really lucky in that I've got to play in bands or you know play alongside bands or whatever that I absolutely idolise. Yeah. Then you just hate everyone. Is like when you're ever you always have big and you don't kind of think of it as a magic thing when mm. you're in the thick of it. But then sometimes it's like holy shit. Like I get it with devils all the time. Yeah. That was insane. Especially because it's like it is still. Oh, you know, we don't do anything now, but like, yeah. it was still but that band. Did, yeah. Like Nick has been in some of one of my most favorite bands of all time. So to be in a band with him is amazing. But to be in one of my favorite bands of all time mm. and being in and getting to be in Devils was crazy, crazy. Talk us through that. Um, talk us through um, joining Between the Devil and the Day. They didn't want to have me. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good start, isn't it? They they were so opposed because. They took us to Queensland, and shortly after, about four or five months after that, mm-hmm. Euripides pretty much broke up, and as we were maybe breaking up, like, Devils offered us a, a show for their EP launch at mm. Spectrum, which is going to be that split with Chainsaw Girls. Oh, yeah, shit. And we had to say no, because Brian, I was fucking, I was like, oh, you got, we're finally fucking, because this is the first time we'd been, we hadn't been 18 before either, mm. so, like, we'd been stuck playing all these weird, and it's like, we're playing a real venue, we're 18, yeah. we're not going to get kicked out of it, which is what happened the first time we tried, <laughs> so, and then it didn't happen, but shortly after that, 
devils changed to like wanted to change to five piece and they went through like five bass players and I kept asking them but they kept okay. saying no mm. and then they kind of gave up yeah right and finally cracked and let me try out how much how much convincing did you have to take in it was just like it was like a year it was Seriously? every time I saw them and because they didn't play shows for a year they kept rehearsing for months yeah yeah they're not doing any like not mm. playing shows writing out they wrote like an album and scrapped it before Paper Spine mm. so and every time I'd see them in a show I'd be like can I play bass shake so good no and then, no can't play can't play and down the track, they told me, I don't know if this is true, but they were like, oh, we were saying no because you were a guitarist and we wanted a bass player, bass player, which is fair enough because yeah. I'm not a bass player at all, but I was still bummed out. I had to hassle them for ages. <laughs> it's very fortuitous, you know, like one band starting and then having that, I wouldn't say easy transition, but a transition nonetheless. Mm. <laughs> I also had to like learn to make that sound before they'd let me join. The trumpet sound. Yeah. Why? I don't know, but they wouldn't <laughs> let me join unless I could do it. Well, now you now can. I could do it. <laughs> do you remember the first show you played with, with Devils? We played in a place called... I think it's called Barracuda. It's not Barracuda. It's some weird... It's in King's Cross, and it's in the yeah, back right. of like a restaurant. It was real weird. I don't even remember who we played with. It was like a... It was... Kind of, when like Good God used to be the Spanish restaurant, oh, and, they, yes, and yes. they had something random in the back, it kind of mm. felt like that, but it was in King's Cross. Yeah, wow. Mm. <laughs> That's a, it's a weird start to a, to a weird joining of a weird band, really. Yeah. <laughs> Retrospectively, it, it makes sense. <laughs> what about the first show you ever played? The first show I ever played was as Last at Home. Yeah. With Mario before maybe we had the bass player and the drummer at this point, but we weren't playing with him. It was in a Hornsby Hot Shots competition. Billy's band comp ran in Hornsby yeah, by Red yeah. Letter Day, who are these terrible like the people that try and get you on Emma Jeanser and all that crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the pay to play people. Yeah. But we played this uh we played a Hornsby RSL as like an acoustic tour. Oh um, shit. Yeah, wow. it was it was weird, but we got into the finals of the band competition, and then during on the on the finals of this band competition, which I think was our second ever show, there was this metal band from Barker. I can't remember their name. They were terrible, and I'm they sure like detuned okay. our guitars backstage. They tried to sabotage the other bands. Oh, you kidding? No, and so I went, how old were you guys? I was maybe fourteen. Fucking hell! And I didn't know how to like read. Tune them, and we were like, you probably school dickheads. Oh. And I didn't know how to tune because I was a terrible guitar, so I like, yeah. had it ready. And then they detuned it, and I'm like, fucking sweating bullets, losing it on stage. And then they made this big song and dance about like standing up and stuffing tissues in their ear and like walking past the front of stage. And so at the end, I like just smashed my guitar on the edge of the stage right next to their faces. Gave you might wear an acoustic duo at this point. <laughs> so we've done like a three-song set in a band competition. That yeah. smashed the st- but there's still a... I took a chip out of the stage with the guitar. And you can still see that at Once so, which is nice. Pete Townsend would be so fucking proud of you, dude. <laughs> That's fucking amazing. Very incongruent with the set that preceded it. <laughs> what makes it so punk rock man was playing solo like something that came up like going through these bands where you're just like I'm onto something here playing solo acoustic by myself at what point did Zounds kind of pick up as a project uh, Zounds started 
in 2007, okay. 18. Euripides was happening. I was trying to do some more acoustic stuff. I'm not really sure why. I was just. Were you of, listening to stuff at the time? That uh, kind of probably Owen, I'd say, but I'm yeah. not sure if I'm. I'm not sure if I'm a year ahead of myself there. Mm. So maybe I was listening to I Messy Life, Adam Solo Project. Oh yeah. A bit of Death Cab as well. And saying I wanted to do acoustic stuff, and I did some songs and sounds that were really terrible that Mario helped me record, and then I did some songs as sounds that was going to be a different band called Will and Hand with Mario that was like acoustic guitar and French horn. Yeah, wow. And we got one song done, but that kind of flopped. And then I, I guess went to, once Euripides broke up, I didn't have anything to do, so I was doing more Zound stuff and Mario recorded the first like EP I did I'm trying to think I have no idea how I met Matt Vaughan from Michael Crafter and stuff oh yeah yeah but he put out the first Zounds EP that I did um, and played in the band at the time like Zounds used to be a full band yeah right um, they had like uh, Tom Hulahan from Ted Danson oh yeah and, and Fatay <laughs> yeah he was, he was playing he was playing drums a guy Sam from this band was playing bass Rob Hudson from the Mind Expansion Kit was playing guitar. Uh, Mario was playing keyboards, which was oh, cool. weird. And yeah. then uh, Matheson was playing banjo. So it was a big band. And Matheson very kindly put out the first Zounds EP, which was also terrible. <laughs> and until recently, the most expensive Less Talk re- release ever. How much was it? Undisclosed? I think it cost like $7 a unit. It was real weird, though, because it was like, we just burnt them ourselves, but the cover were these photos from, like, the black and white photo booth in Hot Damn in Spectrum, so we just went to, like, Spectrum with those little coin change bags you get with, like, $180 worth of $2 coins and a bottle of ammo, and I just sat in the photo booth for a whole night through Hot Damn getting these photos. Jesus Christ! (laughs) That's fucking... Wild, it was man. real weird. I don't know why we decided to do it, but yeah. <laughs> and then there's all these like negative photo strips that I don't. Some of them are Matheson's family photos. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, it was man! A, it was a weird release. Yeah. What kind of sparked the decision to turn that project into a full band? I wrote it full band, not with the band, not kind of as it ended up sounding full band. But when I wrote it, I because Europeans had broken up, I was better at recording than I am now, I suppose. With Mario's help, I just kind of did... Could I was doing all the instruments, so I got Mario to do a bit of piano, I think, and, and some vocals, and Houlihan played drums on all of the songs bar one. But I just... I was having fun playing around, so I'd recorded it all as full band stuff, and so when it came time to tour it, I um, got a band together. But we only did the one tour with Temperamental Pocket, who's like um, Nathan from... Handbands. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His old band with Matheson. They're from Newcastle. They're amazing. So Mm. we did one like East Coast, or just Canberra, um, Newey, Sydney, Melbourne tour with them. And then we played one more show, Zound show as a band in Hornsby. (laughs) With lights out. Fucking hell, live and die in Hornsby. Yeah, it was weird. Um, And and that was it. I haven't had a full band Zound since then, unfortunately. Was that is that something you'd like to do again one day or maybe I like the I like the sounds is kind of free because it's like do you want to play a show Dave yeah I'll play a show Dave yeah yeah, yeah. do you want to rehearse no don't yeah. 
It's yeah, that's the thing about playing solo, isn't it? You can't blame anyone else for turning up like the bad practice. Yeah, it's <laughs> and it's kind of nice and free that way. And it can, if I want to be busy with it, I can be busy with it. And if I don't want to do anything, I don't have to do anything. And it's it's easier that way. But I want to record uh, an album soon, so I think that will obviously have some impact on like what form the band or what form performance might take after that. Yeah, right. Oh, I find that really interesting because you were you were talking about whether you you weren't sure if you were going to continue you know playing as Zounds. Like, mm. what's what's kind of sparked the decision to kind of keep it going? What what what's the motivation now for Zounds as opposed to I guess when it started? Um, uh, it's just really hard to quit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like cigarettes, man. It is. No, it's <laughs> like uh, and yeah, I wanted to stop Zounds. I was like, uh, it's really hard to quit, and I thought more about what I was just saying I guess it's like a free thing when it's just a one person you mm. don't like, I don't I don't need to quit it I just don't need to do anything at the moment yeah yeah sure and now I've got you know I've been I'm always kind of writing sound songs and doing shitty demos of them I just want to yeah. especially if I want to quit it i got to at least record them properly before yeah. I just feel like I'll do that. I feel like I haven't justified Zounds yet. I feel very right. la- I feel very lazy because <laughs> I haven't put out a proper... Rela- I, get, I did the split, apart from the split with Nick, it's been like yeah. seven years since I put out a proper Zounds release. And even the split was two, three years ago. Yeah. It was literally one song too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, it was my, and it was one song. <laughs> well, on that note, your most recent uh, project that, that, again, a lot of people would know you from, talk us through the creation and uh, the beginnings of Pinch Hitter. Nick and I, as I obviously, I always wanted to be in a band with Nick and it never quite happened. And he was always talking about doing like a charge groupie, like adult rock band. Right, and yeah. There, there's still always talk of that, but it never quite happened. And then we're like, well, let's just do this fucking split. So we're doing the split. Yeah. So we were having to hang out a bit just to plan it. It's not we. Maybe we're even still living together. We weren't living together, I don't think, at the time. But we were hanging out. A there's a song bit. about him living with you, wasn't there? Yeah, but it was yeah. written a while before. We, right. Like, yeah. A while before we recorded it, and we were just hanging out at my place, his old place, uh, where we had the sauna, and he. He did a banjo for a while and been playing it. Yeah, yeah. And I hadn't played a banjo in years. And then when I picked it up, in that years, however long it was, I'd started playing in open tunings. Right, uh, yeah. Which I'd never done before. And picking up the banjo, I realised it was an open tuning. So it was pretty pretty much just like the same tuning as what I use on guitar. Yeah, yeah. But a lot more percussive and a lot more receptive to what I felt was my style of playing. So... Previously, I'd picked it up and been, like, ignorant of it. I'd gone yeah. absolutely, like, what the hell is that? Yeah, yeah. And it's a temperamental instrument, but this time I actually felt like I had my bearings. Right, yeah. And we joked. He was like, we should start a... And I was playing, and he started singing these lovely, like, just humming along and, like, doing all these jokes. After the fall of emotions... Singing all... Just piss take, like, on the yeah, spot. Yeah, yeah. Emo, like, emo freestyling. <laughs> emo freestyling. like, this is simple. We should knock this out. And he was going to America like a month later. Banjo's yeah. a heaps cheaper there. He's like, just hold on to this. I'll buy a new one there. And we'll write. And we're like, all right. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so it happened pretty quickly as well. And pretty, like, pretty easily, I think, which is nice. Yeah. The first, or at least the first four songs came really, really fast. Mm. It slowed down a bit after that. But it's, uh, it just kind of, 
it clicked really, really quickly, which is good. And yeah. it's the first time I'd co-written with someone, and that's also been really nice. So the record came out last year, which I was very, very stoked to be a part of. Even, even for less than five seconds, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's still it's, there. It's, yeah, it's like when, it's like when you, you're on a like in the background of a TV show and you like pause it like for the right moment. It's just like there, there I am. <laughs> you need to like you can't pause. Well, if you pause music, you can't point though. You need to stretch yeah. it. Yeah. Ah, uh, hear that yeah, back yeah, 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 that's me. That's me. That right at that. Right at that moment. <laughs> yeah, I remember talking to Nick about the creation of that record, and essentially what he wanted to get out of it. You know, it was like he wanted to make this indie-oriented record without guitars. And obviously, both of you have come up through guitar bands, and so I can only imagine that would that would have been one of the central challenges of that record to try and encompass as much musicality as possible, but have that strict rule of no guitars you know what I mean yeah that was definitely the 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 take it kind of it I get we kind of half started or maybe when we'd started demoing properly for the album was when that like no guitars had crept in yet and I was pushing in one point I think when we we took this drive to Melbourne for a tour and we just listened to the demos we had all the way there all the way back just like working out what we wanted to do production wise and in terms of the other instruments and on one of the songs, I think it was maybe Body Clocks. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, I want to do uh, like just token Mike Kinsella, real washed out, squelchy, farty, heaps in the distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Noodle solo, just like off in space somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he was like, oh, and then it kind of was like, no guitars came up as this thing. Yeah. It was really cool, but it did. It forced us into other instrumentation and also it kind of, I guess it's too close in timber in some ways to a guitar, uh, to a banjo, that the banjo wouldn't have been the focal point. We always right, wanted it yeah. to be a banjo album and guitars were almost too close. Mm. But then it was, you know, like finding cool ways to fill out that mid-range so with re- lots of vocal beds or mm. like organs, the cello and stuff. It was fun finding other ways to fill it out. Yeah. Was it difficult, like writing towards an album, like, uh, like you said, like uh, you've only you've only really done that technically through through paper, spine, everything was just like EPs or like a split seven inch or something like that. Was it was it difficult to kind of create a whole like start to finish conceptual like album, like a you know what I mean? It came pretty nicely when we had when we started working with what we were going to do with when friends die in accidents. We right. had that as yeah. one song. And it kind of stuck out as a song like that's going to be the focus of the album, right? In yeah. a way, and then through a couple of really cool albums, like the f- first Signals Midwest, the second one they do it as well, and the Annabelle uh, Youth in Youth album. Oh yeah, where yeah. they have these recurring kind of motifs, melodic motifs across different songs, and mm-hmm. it all falls into place by the end. Yeah, I was I was really keen to do something like that on an album. Right. Yeah, and so the idea came that we'd almost break it down into quarters and have this this recurring build up to part four and then it was just filling in the blanks around that and so with having When Friends Die at the end it was like well we'll have just my banjo part and the piano in part one mm. just your banjo part in the and backwards piano in part two part three there's something from every single track of the album and then it all comes together on part four and you actually feel the pieces fit in yeah 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 the concept came there and it's a loose concept it's not like every song is um lyrically part of that story or whatever but the concept came from i guess the impact that song had just on us ourselves yeah and it 
grabs us enough that it could be a focal point in something yeah. that we could deconstruct a bit and draw out. Like, even as a hypothetical, that song really struck a chord with a lot of people. You know, like, a people, lot of people, like, relating to that story, you know? That was a, a, a strange thing for us as well, because it was, I think that was maybe the fourth or fifth song we wrote. Yeah. And we had not been playing many shows at all, and but then the reactions that some people were having to that, to say, you know, we were only still getting used to being a band and yeah, that band yeah. and playing with one another, and then having that kind of reaction or impact was really quite astounding mm. so yeah. it was yeah it's a pretty beautiful thing man Nick's over in New York now what's the future of Pinch Hitter is that something you guys want to continue at some stage or is it just a logistic thing that's going to kind of prevent that we're recording a new album in four weeks and touring America fucking hell uh, we've got a split 7 inch coming out next month Oh, was that the Meridian one? Yeah, finally. Finally! So it's going to be, um, I like that you make bad decisions. Finally! <laughs> uh, recorded, and that was actually recorded in April 2013. Jesus, shit. With Nine to Fine, and so it's like organ and glockenspiel, and quite lovely. Yeah, like yeah, it. yeah. And then there's an, uh, like a stripped back version of Body Clocks on the Seven Inch as well. And then yeah. Meridian have got two songs on the A-side. So that's coming out in May through Youth Conspiracy Records in the States oh, and sick. Lost Boy Records here. Right on. Yeah. Oh, that's so good to hear, man. Yeah, it's very like, exciting. Yeah. Was it something that you guys talked about, knowing that, you know, you're going to literally be on up two sides of the world? Yeah, it was hard with it being indefinite, but things had been going well with the band and we didn't want to put out an album and then just be like, see ya. Like, we were enjoying it and it was a project that we felt we could kind of still do a lot more with. Like, it mm. was... We, um, um, you know, when we recorded the album, I'd been learning banjo for a year. We'd only yeah. been writing songs together for a year. We were still finding our feet, and it's like to give that up then would kind of yeah. suck. So the yeah. plan was just um, to try and do at least one tour in both America and Australia every 12 months until Nick moves back and to try and keep recording. And so we've been writing now, which has been good. We've just got, back and forth online, yeah? yeah? Yeah, and just kind of demoing, sending it to each other, doing parts, sending it back. And then we've got six weeks in the States um, through May and June. We're going to be touring for about three weeks, and then um, we'll have three weeks recording the second album. Wow, yeah, that's exciting, man. That's yeah. really cool. A lot of the shows that I've seen you play have been farewell slash final shows. You know, I was there for Devil's quote-unquote last show I was there for oh, Mill House the worst John Farnham, Farnham yeah <laughs> or Horsell Common to use a local reference yes. yeah. <laughs> I was there for um, Mill House's final shows you know and what were supposed to be the like indefinite final pinch hitter shows so well that's that was you know the case yeah Nick so we can't we can't pop down a black wine now on anymore unfortunately yeah. <laughs> it makes it a lot harder it's kind of stress stressful and frustrating in that way but the tour in november last year for the album was really really like a nice uh, amazing really yeah nice. it was such a fun time yeah and the beat disc and black wire shows were just beat, amazing yeah, yeah it it was and so that kind of justified it as well it's like it sucks that we can only play two sydney shows about a year at this mm. rate but if they're two shows like this then it's worth doing and it's worth coming back for and it's worth 
keeping it going on opposite sides of the planet. That's a that's a that's a happy ending. You know? Yeah. Well, hopefully not an ending yet. <laughs> exactly right. I'm more I'm more I'm more meant a happy ending to this episode. Oh. <laughs> so we'll wrap it we'll wrap it there. But uh, before we do that, uh, sure you know what's coming. Uh, I ask this of all of my guests, and I want to know across every band, every stage, every city, every country. The best and worst live experiences you, Dave Drayton, have ever had. You can start on either raw. Oh no. That's a can of worms I've opened. The worst the worst live experiences I am going to put I'm gonna put about twelve undisclosed Zound shows. <laughs> Tying for that. Yep. There has been a lot of terrible, terrible, terrible shows. You know what my favourite worst sound show is? Please. The one after the final devil show. Oh yeah. Where you no. fuck, you fucking sounded like Tom Wayne. That's a, I got an excuse for that one. It's the ones where I don't have an excuse that upset me. And the best oh that's fucking hard. <laughs> Um, it, it's easier to recall the negative than the positive, isn't it? Well, and it's just, and it's like picking children because I can pick a favorite for, for individual acts, but trying to put one at the top. Yeah, right. You can list a few if you want. There would be Pinch Hitter at Beat Disc. There would be Euripides Berserker at Fat Louis. Oh, nice. And there would be Between the Devil and the Deep at the Tote. Nice. That's fantastic. Dave, I want to thank you so much for your time, man. Um, is there anything that you would like to plug? Well, I want to plug. If this is out in time, get a new uh, split 7-inch from us and Meridian. Pinch it or a Meridian. It will yes. be on Lost Boy Records here. And if anyone asks, Dave Drayton is not in Pinch it That is Pecan Dan, because I don't want to be trapped by customs <laughs> in America, carrying a banjo and not having the right visa. Are there any Unoya uh, Collective things coming up? There's an Oslo 7 inch that's probably sold out by now. Ooh. How good is that? <laughs> talk it up, talk it up. Oh, it's I don't know. There's nothing, there's nothing left to talk up. I, that's my point. It's, it's incredible. It's so amazing. There's going to be a little something-something from Sweater Season soon. Ooh. And potentially a split record between Sweater Season and another band who I'll... Keep, well, I keep uh, hockey choir. Ah, yes. So keep an eye out. <laughs> keep an eye out indeed. Dave, thanks so much, man. Thank you, Dave. This has been lovely. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, man. I'm David Jen Jong, and all my friends are fine. This has been a David James Young Writes production. For more information, visit davidjamesyoung.com.